All right, Matthew 5, here we go. You can stand if you'd like to as I read the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we need you this morning. God, we need you to open our eyes to see the greatness of your glory, of your power, of the future that you have for us. Father, we magnify you, God, as as a God of steadfast love, as a God of endless mercy. God, you've dumped your riches upon us as your people, and God, we, we worship you in all your goodness today. And Father, we ask that you would make us peacemakers. God, give us a heart to proclaim the message of salvation that makes peace between you and the world. Father, we ask that you would give us the heart to live for you, to be like you, to speak your truth, no matter what it costs us personally. Father, help us through this next 40 minutes or so. God, as we, as we look at your truth, help us to obey what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What I'd like to do, first of all, is I'd like to unite or link together last week and this week, okay? So last week we said, or Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if I can review that with you just, just real quickly, a peacemaker is, first of all, somebody who has peace with God, right? That's somebody who, who at one time, because of their sin, because of the way they were born into this world, was at odds with God. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of his righteous life and his sacrificial death, they have received that, and they've been united with Jesus to have peace with God, okay? So they have peace with God. That peace with God leads to an an internal peace, okay, inside of you. In other words, once somebody has peace with God, then they begin to look around and say, well, man, now my whole life is different, you know? Uh, the thing I used to be worried about, the thing I used to stress over, the thing I used to, you know, get all cranked up over, man, I, I don't have that anymore. God has given me a peace inside because of who he is on my behalf. Peace with God leads to a peace inside. Now, that peace inside leads us to be at peace with one another. Okay, now all of a sudden, we want to be like our Father. And so when there's conflict, when we're at odds with somebody, we do just like our father did, and we initiate peace by dealing with the sin. So we become peacemakers with others. Not only do we become peacemakers with those we're at odds with, but now we begin to help others be at peace with one another. Okay, And then the final step of a peacemaker is that we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is at odds with God. So now all of a sudden we are, we are proclaiming 
the, the same gospel that brought us peace with God, now we give that to others, okay? We, we, we offer that to others. We, we are a peacemaker by making peace with others through offering them the gospel. But here's, here's the deal. In an attempt to bring lasting and eternal peace to others, the gospel message will be met with opposition, okay? That's a strange thing, isn't it? When, when you think about, so here, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, man, I was at odds with God. I was broken on the inside. I, I, I was under the wrath of God the Almighty, and he stepped in through Jesus and paid my price and, and justified me with his son and gave me forgiveness, and now I am at peace with God, and you can have that too. And that's what we're saying. You can have peace with God as well. And the reality that that message will at times be met with such violence as to result in murder. Now, that's a strange thing, isn't it? You know, why, why would me or you, why, why would a Christian saying, wow, I have the best gift ever. I've got eternal life. I've got justification. I've got righteousness with God. I've got all of these things, and I want you to have it. I want you to have it for free. I want you to have it because Jesus loves you, and he wants to give it to you. Why would that message be met with violent opposition? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Okay, number one is because there really is a devil. Okay, there really is a Satan in the supernatural realm. There is a real and active enemy of God who is passionate and relentless in his mission to lie about God, to lie about the human condition of sin and to deceive men from knowing the love and rescue of their creator. So, that, I, mean, I mean, the foundation of the answer is, is that Satan is real. And he's a liar, and he's the father of lies, and he's the accuser of the brethren, and he's a thief, and he's a murderer, and he hates you because you're made in the image of God, and he will not rest. He has not rested for millennia in his skillful efforts to keep you from peace with God. And what he wants is he wants you to join him in an eternity in hell under the wrath of God. So, so why is it that you offer the greatest message that history has ever known and it at times will be met either, either with mild opposition all the way up to murderous opposition. Well, number one, because there's a Satan. Number two, because we as human beings are deeply broken in our sin. Okay? Now, part of that sin is we all are steeped in pride. Yeah, here, here's the way I would say this, not theologically. Okay? I would say it this way. By nature, we all think we're awesome and everything we do is awesome. Okay? That, that's, that's how we are by nature. We, by nature, think we're right, right? I mean, nobody naturally says, well, man, I'm just wrong. No, no, we think we're right, and, and we justify ourselves. It's deeply within our prideful, broken self to justify ourselves, to think that we're good enough, that our goodness is good enough, that by nature, that God ought to be pleased with us. Here's what Jesus said about that. He said in John chapter 7, Beginning in verse 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says, The world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. That's that's really the foundation of it, isn't it? Jesus is saying, You know why the world does not like me? Because I tell the truth about its works. I tell the truth about people. 
I tell the truth about the brokenness of the sinner. The message of the gospel of God's riches and salvation includes the message that man is a sinner, that man is offensive to it and odds with the holy creator. The world hates Jesus because he condemns their idols. Okay? Everybody that's ever lived has an idol. All right? So, so if you are not connected to Jesus, you have an idol. We, I had idols, right? Your idol is whatever you love the most, whatever you live for, whatever, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you depend upon, whatever you treasure. And so, so the Bible tells us in the gospel that Jesus is the greatest treasure, that Jesus is worth all of your allegiance, all of your trust, all of your dependence, all of your obedience, and that to live ignoring Jesus, to live your own way, to live for your own stuff is a capital crime. But the world doesn't believe that. The world says, hey, live for your comfort, pursue your own path, your own way. That's good enough. You'll be rewarded. Jesus says, no, you're wasting your life. You're missing your salvation. You're offending God and you're destined to hell. So whenever you preach the message of reconciliation, whenever you attempt to be a peacemaker, you see that our world is at odds with God. And you try to step in and say, hey, here's the reality of the situation. But the good news is, here's what Jesus has done. And man, he will do that for you. When you say that, you will meet various levels of opposition, various levels of resistance. Because in exalting Jesus, you condemn their idols. You condemn whatever else people are living for in place of Jesus. So here's the way this kind of works out, okay? So if you go to North Africa and you preach the gospel of Jesus, you go to North Africa and you tell people the condition of man, what God has done, what Jesus has done, what you're essentially saying, if they get it, okay? Now, if they understand your message, then what you're actually saying is that Muhammad is not the prophet and Allah is not God, and that is offensive. You see, if you, if you go to India and you preach the gospel and you tell people the reality of sin and brokenness and what God has done in sending his son to redeem humanity to himself, when you say that, what you're also saying is that the, the millions of Hindu gods and goddesses, almost a billion, I think, are not really gods. They're demons. And that, that, that the whole thought of people trying to work their way up in this caste system through, through various multiple lives of reincarnation and good works, that that's a lie. That there is one life. You have one life to live. And if you do not live it for Jesus, you will perish forever in hell. That's offensive. When you preach the gospel in America, now here's where the rub comes, because a lot of times in America, people, people don't want it. They, they don't want to hear the gospel. They want to interpret the gospel as something else, okay? So there's a lot of Americans who will tolerate the gospel because what they mean or what they hear when they hear the gospel is, is that I'm going to put Jesus on my shelf right by my other knickknacks I bought in Branson at Cracker Barrel, okay? Like, like it's just like, oh, that's such a good message. That is so, I love Christmas. I love Easter. You know, I pray to Jesus whenever I get in trouble. I will put him right there, all right? But if they really understand what you're saying, if they really understand that what, what you mean by, by allegiance to Jesus, by the lordship of Jesus, being that he is my king and I will do whatever he says and I will live my life for him. What you're also saying is that living a self-absorbed, me-centered, 
comfort-driven life in which you judge your own righteousness by your own standards is the height of arrogance and idolatry. And that will be offensive to Americans. Here's what John said. John chapter 3, verse 20. John says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his words should be his deeds should be exposed. His works, I'm sorry, his works should be exposed. In other words, it's like a gospel spotlight, and whenever people step into it, no matter if you're from North Africa or India or America, no matter where you're from, when you step into that gospel light, you know what it reveals? It reveals what you love best, what, what you love most. This is why when, when Jesus said to the crowd in the New Testament, if you love father, mother, husband, wife, children, grandchildren, more than me, you're not worthy of me. What's he getting at there? What he's getting at is you can't put anything in front of Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is that Jesus is Lord. And the gospel reveals whatever else that you're living for. In John chapter 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. All right, Jesus, Jesus very clearly says there, you know, the world hates you because it hated me. It resisted me. And so when you're identified with me, that's why the world will hate you. Okay, so this is the gospel message. We are the peacemakers right? We are the ones bringing the message to the world of reconciliation with God. As that happens, there will be opposition to that message. But here's what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, this whole series we've been looking at the blessed life, right? We've been looking at what it means to be happy, what it means to be fortunate, right? And, and, and you might have missed this, but, but happy and fortunate and flourishing do not necessarily mean a trouble-filled life, right? Hopefully we've already got that, right? Because it's hard to go through, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, blessed are the, the meek, the, the, the merciful, those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are pure of heart, those who are peace. It's hard to go through those and still have a, have an old old definition of happiness, but this is not the kind of happiness that, that means that, hey, everything's going to go rosy in your life. I'm sorry if somebody told you that. I'm sorry if someone, someone said to you, man, you're having a lot of trouble in your life. If you just come to Jesus, you wouldn't have any more problems. You know, you wouldn't have any more struggles. You'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I am sorry if somebody told you that because that is not in the New Testament, all right? It's just not there. It's not there at all. In fact, these are the kind of things that the New Testament tells us is that happy is the one who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so happiness obviously takes on a new meaning. It does not imply the absence of trouble, but rather it implies that you have something in your life. You have someone in your life that is so valuable and so worth it and so, so joy impacting that you will be able to have joy and happiness in the midst of pain. So you are blessed when, when your connection to Jesus and to his life bring you into opposition with others. Notice what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The word persecuted means to be chased down, harassed, and harmed. Okay? Blessed are you when you're reviled. That's the next word there. 
uh, in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile. The word revile means to mock, to heap insults upon, to find fault. Verse 12, uh, or the end of verse, verse 11, says when they utter all kinds of things falsely against you. When they say things bad about you. Now, if you are a peacemaker, okay? If you are a person who is actively sharing the greatest story the world has ever known, you will meet some version of hostility. You will have people that, that do not like that message. Uh, it's just going to happen. Sometimes it happens in humorous ways. I don't know, I've probably told you the story before. A lot of people can't tell Andrew and I apart. Actually, a lot of kids can't tell Andrew, I, or Daniel apart. Most kids think we have two pastors at Lincoln Avenue, Pastor Gary, and then the rest of us are just one, okay? But uh, even some adults can't, can't tell Andrew and I apart. And I uh, had the funny experience. I probably told this story before. It, it, it really was hilarious. Um, this guy um, met Pastor Andrew, uh, saw Pastor Andrew, and came up to him, and he starts just tearing down Pastor Jason, okay? But it was me. He thought I was Pastor Andrew, Okay? So, so he, he, he thought I was Pastor Andrew, and so he's just like tearing me up, you know, worst guy ever, piece of dirt, trash, you know. And uh, so I had a little fun with it. You know, I just, I kind of egged him on. I was like, well, tell me about what he did, and tell me, you know, I can't believe that, you know. And then I let it go on for a little bit, and then finally I, I kind of broke the, you know, the, the deal and said, you know, hey, buddy, I'm Pastor Jason, you know. And it, it's funny, you could see his mind, because it just like went, it went in, it like, it like locked up a gear, you know. And he's like, he's processing, 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 you know. And uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of a funny deal. But, um, but that's going to happen. Let's, let's clarify, though. Because, I mean, I, I know, I, I, know I, I need to be clear about this for my own self. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay, did you hear that? For righteousness' sake. And then, then he clarifies that in verse um, 11. When he says, blessed are you when, they, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, so for righteousness sake, on my account. All right, so that's a very specific thing there. In other words, blessed are the people who are persecuted, who are reviled, who have evil things said about them because of their connection with Jesus. Because of their, their likeness to Jesus. Because they're living for Jesus and obeying Jesus and speaking Jesus' truth. Those people. Okay, so in other words, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not offered this promise of blessing for any kind of persecution. Here's the reality. Sometimes bad things happen to us. Sometimes we're mistreated because, because of our own, it's our own fault, right? So, so Peter says in 1 Peter 4.15, he, he says, um, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. In other words, you, there, there is no promise for you just because you suffer because maybe you were a jerk, right? Maybe, maybe you were mean. Maybe you are callous. Maybe you are uh, unloving. Maybe you, maybe you were rude, right? Like, like I've had all those things. I, I've, I've, I've been rude to somebody or ignored somebody and, and, and maybe suffered because of that. Well, that, there's no promise here for that. Listen, there is no promise, blessing, if you're persecuted because of your political views. I, I hear Christians using that, you know? It's like I have this strong political view, and everybody's mad at me, but you know, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen, it doesn't mean that, right? It's for Jesus' sake, all right? 
So if you're persecuted because you're a union person or you're not a union person or you think the teachers ought to strike or you think they shouldn't strike or you think the kids should walk out or the kids shouldn't walk out or you think the government should take all the AR-15s or you think the Gideons should hand out AR-15s with New Testaments, you know, no matter where you are on that spectrum, there are going to be people that oppose you and disagree with you. That is not being persecuted for righteousness sake, okay? That's just you have a political view and someone disagrees. But Jesus is talking about opposition that comes because you're living out the life of Jesus. You're obeying Jesus. You're living out the rest of the Beatitudes. You are poor in spirit. You mourn over your sin. You're meek. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You have a one single track mind of being pure in heart. You're merciful. You're a peacemaker. You look like Jesus. You act like Jesus. You are living out Jesus' life. Here's what Paul said in Colossians 1.24. He said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul's like, man, I belong to Jesus, and I am living Jesus' life. And because of that, I, I run into opposition just like he did. Jesus was, was rejected, and he was mocked, and he was ridiculed, and he was tortured, and he was persecuted, and he was killed. And Paul said, I am living out Jesus' life. I'm an extension of Jesus' life. And so I'm meeting the same resistance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll look at this verse a little bit more here in just a minute. But Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul says, I'm living the life of Jesus. That is where the blessing is. Now, when that opposition comes, so you're obeying Jesus, you're living for Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're speaking Jesus' truth, you're a gospeler, you're a peacemaker, and then you hit opposition, what should you do? Verse 12 is very clear. You should rejoice and be glad, okay? Two words for joy smashed together. Literally, Jesus is saying, when that happens, you should be happy, 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 okay? You should be happy, exceedingly happy. You should be joyful, overjoyed. That's what he's saying. Rejoice and be glad. Now, why would Jesus be saying that? Well, essentially, if I could sum it up, because he's saying, I'm worth it. He's saying, what I will give to you, what I am in your life, what I will be for you is worth it. What is coming for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake is so good, it is so glorious, it is so satisfying, it is so beautiful and valuable that it swallows up the pain, the rejection, the beating, the loss of property, the loss of life, the loss of health. It is better than all of that. All right, so Romans 8. Paul clarifies this. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did, did you hear what he said? The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. Okay, so if I have a dollar, it's my own dollar, I earned it. I have a dollar, and you come up to me, and you say, I got a deal. I'm going to give you this little piece of used Kleenex for your dollar. I say that's not worth it. Okay? I say me giving you a dollar, me losing my dollar, 
that I earned is not worth getting this little piece of used Kleenex. Now, if you come up to me and you have a Reese's candy bar, not one with just the two buttercups, but the four, okay? You got one of those dudes, and you say, Pastor Jason, I will give you this for your dollar. That's a good trade, okay? I'm saying it was worth it. See, I would say, hey, that was worth it. That was, I like those, and I'm hungry. Or even if I'm not hungry, it's still worth it, okay? That's worth it. Those are more than a dollar usually. So that, that's worth it, okay? But none, none of those are what Paul is saying. Paul says the sufferings, the persecution of this life, not worth comparing. Not just not worth, not worth comparing. So if I've got my dollar, and you say, hey, get in the truck, I want to show you something. And I get in your pickup, and we drive for 13 hours west. And we go up over the pass, come down into Silverton. Got 14,000-foot peaks around us. We go through Silverton in that little valley that sprawls out on the other side. Take a little side road up into the mountains, and it breaks open into this clearing. And here is this 6,000-square-foot log cabin, brand new, just built. It's got those big, big arch-pointed, you know, roof with the, st- the, the, the open glass windows all in front. It's got a little shed for toys on the side. You say, Jason, I'll give you this for your dollar. I say, boom, not worth comparing, right? Here it is. Man, my dollar's in your hand so fast. Why? Because what I'm losing, it, you can't even compare it to that, to what I'm gaining. Okay, Paul, Paul is saying, or Jesus is saying something bigger than that. Okay, that's what he's saying. Rejoice and be glad because what is coming for you in heaven, what is coming for you in Jesus' return, what is coming for you in no tears, no death, no pain, no sin, new bodies, perfect relationships, productive work, the presence of God, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore for all eternity is so glorious that whatever we are called upon to give in this life is not worth comparing. But I actually think Jesus is saying more than that, okay? He is saying that, but there's more, okay? Because I I don't think he's just saying, because heaven is coming. Because you you know know what my sinful flesh would do? If that's all he's saying, you know what I'd do? I'd I'd be like, well, okay, I'm I'm already a Christian, so I already get heaven. And that, that, that old boy in India, well, he's a Christian, and so he's getting heaven, but you know what, he's... He's having to deal with rejection and poverty and struggle and physical abuse and death. Well, I I think I'll just be here in America, kind of keep my mouth shut, and then I got a smooth life here and in heaven. So I I think Jesus is actually saying more than just heaven is coming. I think he's actually making a direct connection between your enduring hard things for his sake, your willingness to say, I will follow you no matter what. I think he's making a connection to that, to what is to come. In other words, heaven becomes better. Heaven becomes more. Glory is increased the more you endure for Jesus' sake. I think Paul says the same thing. 2 Corinthians 4 
that passage that we just looked at. We're going to do so in a little bit more here. So let me, let me start where we were. We're afflicted in every way. This is verse 8, not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Same thing I read you before. And then go down a little bit in the chapter, and he summarizes it, and he says this in verse 17. He says, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Did you hear that? This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. In other words, they're connected. In other words, I believe that as Stephen was proclaiming the gospel to the Sanhedrin, and he knew that they were not receiving it well, but but, but he told them the truth in Christ. He shared with them the salvation of Jesus, and they picked up rocks and were stoning him. I believe that Stephen's glory was increasing for all eternity. I don't know how all that works, but they're definitely connected in the Scriptures. It's affecting our reward. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are persecuted. When they revile you, when they persecute you, when there are all kinds of evil against you, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Now, I think not only is he saying that, but I also think as I, as I looked in the Bible about what it says about persecution and suffering, I believe that he's also talking about now. He's, when he says, blessed are the persecuted, I think there's a nowness. In other words, I think as you're going through your Christian life and you hit that final gear and you put the accelerator down and your joy is revved up and pegging, you know, you're pegging your tachometer there, all right? I believe as that is happening and you're enjoying Jesus and you're following Jesus and you're you're basking in prayer and you're living out your faith, I believe that when you meet opposition, when you meet horrific opposition even, and you continue to say, I will follow Jesus no matter what, I, I, I will not back down. He is worth it. I believe that Jesus gives you another gear in this life. Okay? So you're pegged out in your joy, and I believe that as you meet opposition, man, you shift again. And there's another gear. Now, and I believe that because that's the only way I can explain the following passages in the Bible. Okay? So James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, is verse 2, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and, and steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. James says, count it all joy when that happens. Or how about this one in Romans? Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in suffering. Why, Paul? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope right now. You see, these are talking about right now. All right? But how about this one? Maybe you're not convinced yet. I don't know how you could not be with Mark 10. Mark 10 says in verse 29, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. There it is. For righteousness sake, because of me, for my sake and for the gospel. Here's what it says, verse 30, Who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. That's now. 
He's saying now. He's saying I will make it up to those people. I will somehow in some way give them another gear of joy in their life. And then he says, let's finish it. And in the age to come, eternal life. See, he's not, he's not talking about just heaven. Because he says, I'm giving them, I will give them this stuff with persecutions. Boom. But in the age to come, eternal life. So it's both. Blessed are those who will be like Jesus no matter the cost. Is that you? Will you be like Jesus no matter the cost? Or, or, or will, if the cost gets so high, or if someone resists you, if you meet opposition, or if you're not popular with your family, will, will you back up and say, well, it's not worth it? There's no blessing in that. Blessed are those who say, it's worth it. He is worth it. And my friends, there's a long line of men and women and students who have said in the loudest, clearest possible way, Jesus is worth it, and they have said it with their lives. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see what he just said? He says, if you need another reason, look at, look at history. Look at the prophets. Look, look, look at those men and women. This is not a new thing. The world has been killing those who look like Jesus for a long time. The, there, there's consistently been believers who were willing to pay any and every cost in pursuit of something better. Isaiah was sawn in two. John the Baptist was beheaded for speaking the truth to Herod. Stephen, who while being stoned, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. James, who was beheaded. Peter, who was crucified upside down. But it's not just an old thing in the Bible. No, it's been happening consistently since Jesus was resurrected from the dead. John Rogers, I love this one because of his kids. John Rogers burned alive because of his faith in Jesus Christ as he is led to the place of execution. His children follow him. And as they're following him, they call out encouragements to their dad that he, might not, that he would be strong and that he might not dishonor Jesus. Oh, to have children like that. I've stood in the Roman arena where 22-year-old Perpetua, having already been ripped apart by the wild animals, straightened her blouse that had been torn and pinned up her hair as the gladiator came out to finish her off. But when she saw that the gladiator was so shaken by the experience that he trembled, could barely hold his sword, she grabbed the blade, put it on her neck, and said, it's okay. Many of you have read the story of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, who had pistols on their hips as they landed their plane with supplies on the riverbed for the Aka Indians. And yet as the Indians attacked, because of a lie that had been told them, by the way, Jim Elliott 
and Nate Saint refused to fire their pistols as the men speared them to death. How about Graham Staines, 1999, Orissa, India, not very far from the two orphanages that we fund and have started in Orissa. Graham and his two sons, Philip and Timothy, nine and seven years old, I believe, were burned alive in their car. You might have saw that news coverage on TV, maybe. It's interesting what doesn't make the news. You may have saw that back in 1999. They were burned alive in their vehicle by radical Hindus. Pastor Sanjeevi. Remember, we took up an offering for his wife. Pastor Sanjeevi lived outside of Hyderabad. Had a group of men come to his house, ask him to come out and pray with them. And when he came out, they knifed him to death with swords and wounded his wife, not mortally. She, she's, she's still living. I've met her. Pastor Mariah, one of the villages that this church has drilled a water well in. We've dedicated a tutoring center there. We've established a women's, empower, a women's sewing center there as well. He was kidnapped back in 2016, tortured for days in front of his brother until they put a crowbar into his chest and dragged his body to the edge of the village to be left. Pastor Vijaskar, last year, he and 13 members of his congregation were dragged out of the prayer meeting, beaten publicly, and imprisoned for three months. For nothing at all, really. And on and on it goes. And here's, here's the thing the Bible tells us. There will be more. Do, do, you, do you understand that? Like, this is not, some of you are studiers of the book of Revelation. I usually read the book of Revelation and get something totally different out of what a lot of people get. But one of the things that's very clear in the book of Revelation is, there will be more. Jesus Christ is coming. And to usher in that coming, we, his people, will take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as we do that, more men, more women, and more students will die in taking the gospel there. Revelation chapter 6 Verse 9 says, when he, op- when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told the rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. My friends, we, if you're a believer here today, we've been given the greatest gift imaginable. We, we, have, we have been poured out upon with the riches of God And now we're called to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who will bring the peace of God to the world. And as we do that, 
because of Satan, because of sin, because of the brokenness of mankind, because of the lies of the devil, it will be met with opposition. And we are to be the people that say, no matter the cost, I will obey Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Would, would you affirm that today in your own life? Would you just affirm that no matter the cost, I will follow Jesus? Would you affirm today by faith, he is worth it? That's what every one of those martyrs said. He is worth it. Father, I ask you, God, to, to put it in our hearts that Jesus is worth it. That he is worth opposition, that he is worth ridicule, that he is worth rejection by others, that he is worth physical abuse or loss of property or loss of job. That he is worth all of that. Father, we thank you that we live in a place where most of us have not had to endure hardly any of that. But God, I just pray that you would give us hearts that are willing. God, show us your glory in such a way that we see that what is coming for us in Christ, what we have in Jesus, is worth paying any price. Father, put that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.